اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم. So just to um, bring everyone um, up to speed, you know, this is our third session now. Uh, the first session was really highlighting the different conditions that a believer finds himself in. Yeah. Is, the pages are turning. You want to put a weight? Oh, this, okay. Um, the conditions that they find themselves in and what our reaction is. Okay, let's, actually, before I mention that, just remember that the uh, focus is on sa'ada, which is you know how a believer attains true happiness in this world. And really what we're learning is that the better a person understands themselves and their relationship with Allah Ta'ala, uh, and how to approach Allah Ta'ala, the, uh, the better their, um, th- th- this will be for them. The second was sort of discussing how shaitan comes into the picture. Um, sorry, one moment. Should, uh, the breeze was nice. Is there a way we can open it a little bit? Just a little bit so that it doesn't blow the... Just a happy medium. Does that work? Okay. Okay. Um, so now the next section, uh, Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah, he is going to talk about uh, the attitude that we have when we're traveling or approaching Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, it's a very interesting section. I think it's very deep. So it might hopefully, you know, with, this is following a recreational activity, so hopefully the blood is flowing. Um, so that we can sort of internalize some of this. Um, so he starts off by saying, uh, he talks about the Gnostics, the Arifin, those people who know Allah. And know Allah doesn't mean that I know, know Allah, because we'll never know Allah Ta'ala except from what he shares with us about his attributes. But those people that really understand the greatness of Allah, his magnificence, they're called the Arifin. It's a term that's used classically. And he mentions here that the Arifin all agree that divine accord, i.e. tawfiq, this tawfiq word is coming up, means that Allah Ta'ala does not abandon you to yourself, and that misfortune is when he does. So if a person really wants to understand what the meaning of tawfiq is, it means that Allah Ta'ala does not leave us to ourselves. Now we think about tawfiq in the context of actions, tawfiq to read Qur'an, tawfiq to come to the masjid, tawfiq to um, pray, etc., etc., but really, I mean, what tawfiq is, if you take a step back, it's that Allah Ta'ala does not leave us to ourselves, but rather keeps us in recognition of our dependence on Him. Keeps us in recognition. And, he said, and misfortune is when He does. So, when Allah Ta'ala intends goodness for someone, this comes again. Yes, in the context of the prior session, intends goodness meaning that He allows uh, uh, us to um, be regular in our tawbah. Here he says, so when Allah Ta'ala intends goodness for someone, he opens the door of humility, perpetual search for refuge, and dependence on him. I'll, I'll repeat it. When Allah Ta'ala, Ibn Qayyim is saying this, and what, it's, it's just beautiful because this is one of the greatest scholars uh, who's ever interpreted the Quran or Hadith, period, is reminding us, and we're reading his words, a translation. So when Allah Ta'ala intends goodness for someone, He opens the doors of humility, perpetual search for refuge and dependence on Him. He opens the door where the self's faults, ignorance, and enmity are cited, where the, blessing, where the blessings of its Lord, His excellence, mercy, and generosity are witnessed, the door of His goodness, the wealth and praise. 
So he, he mentions here, and then he says, let me just read the next part. The Gnostic, the Arif, then journeys toward Allah Ta'ala on these two wings, Al-Janahayn. Number one, awareness of his own faults, and number two, recognition of his Lord's grace. Okay? He cannot journey without them, and if he denied one, he would be like a bird that lost a wing. So there's a lot that's shared in here. I'm just going to pull it apart, right? Uh, break it apart for us. Number, he says that if we want to know if Allah Ta'ala int- is intending good for us, Number one, he'll open the door for us to be able to see our own faults and our own ignorance. And that's a big deal, right? To be able to have the ability to see my own weaknesses, my own flaws. Uh, in this day and age, it's, it's relatively rare, right? To be able to do so. I mean, just being able to have self-awareness about oneself, understanding, emotion. Like, you know, this is, this is a, such an emphasis in this day and age on emotional quotients and intelligence, uh, I mean, this is, this is in our tradition dating back centuries. This is dating back to the Prophet reminding us, know who you are. Know where your weaknesses lie, where your flaws are. But here, recognize that we are only able to do so when Allah Ta'ala open, wants what's good for us. And then number two, he says, and the second is, one is awareness of our own faults. And number two is recognition of Allah Ta'ala's grace. Meaning that on the one hand, a believer who is connected to Allah and is given tawfiq by Allah Ta'ala, on the one hand, Allah Ta'ala opens the doors for them to be able to read their own hearts, which is very rare in this day and age. And on the other hand, He opens our ability to see His own grace and magnificence, which is on the opposite extreme. Meaning, I recognize where I stand in my relationship with Allah Ta'ala. Or I recognize where I am um, in terms, in the grand scheme of things, as it, as it compares to Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala. So he says, these are the two wings we travel on. One, full dependence on Allah. Two, recognizing that Allah Ta'ala is our master. This will make sense in just a moment. So he says, well, okay, let, 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 me, let me summarize it this way. I think this makes more sense. He, uh, it, he, he's reminding us that there's two questions that we have to ask ourselves. Number one, who am I? Who am I? The ability to, for me to ask myself with insight, who am I? And the second question, who is Allah? That's, that's what he's talking about here. And this is where we travel, right? And uh, you know, I, I had mentioned this in just a recent gathering, that there's a differential that's created between all of creation and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that becomes the premise by which we move about this world. That becomes a premise by which we move about this world. So... I have to really understand where I stand in, re- in relation to where Allah Ta'ala stands. Allah Ta'ala's power, His might, His supremacy, His magnificence is up here. And our inabilities, our weakness, our flaws, uh, our, our, our personal challenges are here. There's such a strong difference between the two. And in us appreciating these two, these are the wings that the Arifin sort of floats or flies on as they're progressing toward Allah Ta'ala. This is the paradigm that's being created. Now, even, now, this will make a little bit more sense with the next paragraph. He says, the Shaykh of Islam said, he's referring to his own teacher, Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah. He says, the Gnostic travels to Allah Ta'ala between the recognition of Allah's grace and the awareness of the flaws in his own soul and deed. Right? Uh, uh, this then is the sense of the words of Allah's Messenger وسلم, which is recorded in the sound hadith of a companion who narrated, who related to us uh, this, this hadith called, uh, that describes istighfar, which is Sayyid al-Istighfar. 
So what he's mentioning here is that this concept of who am I and who is Allah, which is the ultimate mechanism of purification of the heart, recognizing who am I and where Allah and who Allah Taala is. This, 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 uh, these wings that I travel on, uh, this is all sort of put together in this one hadith of the Prophet where the Prophet taught us a, a, a dua to recite, and he says that the, the, the best method of seeking Allah's forgiveness is reciting this dua. Sayyidul Istighfar is what it comes as. So what is this dua? He says, and he, 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 he recites the translation. He, I'll just recite it, I'll read the translation, and then we'll go over the dua together. He says, the best way for the servant to ask Allah's forgiveness is as following. O Allah, you are my Lord. There is no deity but you. You created me and I am your servant. I am keeping my pledge and promise to you as much as I am able. I seek refuge in you from what evil I have wrought. I acknowledge to you your grace to me and I acknowledge my sin, so forgive me. Truly, no one forgives sins but you. So it's such an encompassing dua. The Prophet said about this dua and in the morning athkar sheets, this dua is listed on there, the comprehensive one, not the short one that we had used. And it's such a beautiful dua because what, we're, what this dua is highlighting to us is if ultimately we're seeking Allah's forgiveness, then we need to appreciate these two questions of who am I and who is Allah. Because if I understand this relationship, this lends toward me truly attaining the forgiveness of Allah. So the dua goes as, Allahumma anta rabbi. It's so beautiful. Like the dua starts off as saying, Oh Allah, you are my Lord. That's it. I mean, we could just stop there and be done with the session for today. We'd be done for the, with, with the whole retreat. To be able to say with my heart, with firm conviction, that Oh Allah, you are my Rabb. Like, you know, it's, it's amazing because these words are so beautiful to Allah. Just these simple words of you are my Lord are so beautiful to Allah Ta'ala because what we're doing is we're reminding ourselves and telling and proclaiming to Allah that Allah, you own me. You know, you are Rabb and we are Marboob. You own me. Allahumma anta Rabbi. La ilaha illa anta. There is no being or deity worthy of worship. No God except you. This is a direct conversation between us and Allah. La ilaha illa anta. Khalaqtani. You created me. You created me. Wa ana abduk. And I am your servant. Look, th this is a dua we're making to Allah, and so far we have not asked a single thing from Allah. This is called Sayyidul Istighfar, the best form of Istighfar. And we've gotten through half of this dua and we haven't even asked Allah for anything. All we've done is spoken to Allah. You are this, I am this, you are this, I am this. Allahumma anta rabbi, you're my Lord. La ilaha illa anta, nobody worthy of worship except for you. Khalaqtani, you created me. Wa ana abduk, I am a servant. I have no right authority whatsoever except what you have given me. And I am on your covenant and your promise as much as I am able. Mastata'at is like whatever I'm able to do. It's so powerful because, we're, again, we're so used to proclaiming or exclaiming our, 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 our uh, accolades in this world. And Allah Ta'ala, so far in this dua, we still haven't asked anything. We've talked about Allah's greatness. We've reminded Allah that we know who we are here. We're not, this, we understand the game. We understand our relationship. We understand where we stand. 
right? And not only that, I know I have a covenant I've made to you. I know that I've made this promise to you and I'm trying my best to fulfill it. It's not enough is what we're saying. It's not enough. It's never going to be enough. It's never going to be enough, but oh Allah, I'm trying. I seek refuge in the evil that I've brought onto myself. The evil, the havoc that I've brought into my life by not following you, not following your messenger, not following this beautiful, rich tradition, thinking that there was some better way of living my life, thinking that there was some other pursuit that was worth uh, going after. Uh, All of these things have brought challenge, difficulty into my own life. So I seek refuge, not from shaitan, even here. Like we're not even allowed to place the blame on shaitan. I seek refuge in the evil that I brought onto myself. Pay attention right to this dua. Up until this point, we still haven't asked Allah to forgive us. We haven't asked Him for anything. These are just statements we're making that are considered the best of istighfar. I... Um, I recognize uh, the, the, the blessings that you have, uh, the blessing and the grace that you've bestowed upon me. Again, look at this switch between you are this, I am this. You are here, I am here. You are excellent, I'm not. You are strong, I am weak. This recognition is what lends to a true meaningful relationship with Allah. So he says, I seek refuge in the evil that I brought into myself. Now, I recognize, I recognize the blessing and grace and ni'mah that you've placed upon me. And I also recognize one other thing, my own sins and my own weakness. The complete opposite. I recognize that you've done this to me and I recognize that this has been my response. Finally, up until this point, nothing's been asked of Allah. After proclaiming, exclaiming, stating this, right, with conviction, you're this, I'm this, you're this, I'm this. Finally, we come to the point of dua. That dua, فَغْفِرْلِي So forgive me. So forgive me. Finally. Finally. Not, oh Allah, forgive me for my sins and mistakes. Oh Allah, forgive me for, oh Allah, oh Allah, oh Allah. I deserve it, you know, is what we're basically saying. Or, oh Allah, this is what I'm requesting from you today. This is, this is my, uh, my list of requests for the week. And here's my forgiveness. Here's mercy. I want good health. I want this. I want that. I want that. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But Imam Ibn al-Qayyim is teaching us here, and of course this dua is highlighting to us, that there is a particular um, adab that exists, in, and it really has to do with where we, um, how we understand our relationship with Allah to be. فَغْفِرْلِي We finally ask. فَإِنَّهُ لَا يَغْفِرُ الذُّنُوبَ إِلَّا أَنْتَ Why? Again. For one moment we're asking Allah for something. Literally one word. With the dhameer. With the dhameer. Literally one word. فَغْفِرْلِي Forgive me. One word in the entire dua. Then it goes back to Allah. Immediately it goes back to Allah. And says why? Like I mean, for what reason should you be forgiving me? Right? فَإِنَّهُ لَا يَغْفِرُ الذُّنُوبَ إِلَّا أَنْتَ Not because I have a right to be forgiven. Not because I sat on the musalla and I begged from you. Not because I earned this much of a living. Not because I made this contribution to society. 
Not because I'm the reason your dean is, is thriving today. Not because, you know, the list goes on. No, the only reason I'm asking you is because I don't know where else to go. The only person that can actually forgive me and grant me this forgiveness is you. There's nowhere else I can turn. There's nowhere else I can look. There's no other being. There's no other person. There's nothing that can forgive me except for you. That's it. That's the dua. And the Prophet says that this is, this is, this is considered Sayyidul Istighfar, the best of Istighfar. The best of Istighfar. Right? So, I mean, one, we should all memorize this dua because the Prophet says that whoever recites this in the morning, um, I don't think he covers this here, but whoever recites this dua in the morning is guaranteed Jannah if they were to pass away before the evening. Guaranteed Jannah. And whoever recites this in the evening and passes away before the morning is guaranteed Jannah if they were to pass away in that time. Now think about it. Like, how we, our deepest desire in this world is that we, our families, our children, our loved ones, all enter into Jannah. And this is a guarantee. But what makes it a guarantee? What's so powerful about this dua? It's not a laundry list of requests from Allah. It's just me recognizing that Allah is this and I am nothing. And I am now going to present it in this way. I'm going to just recite it one more time. We have until six, right? Okay. Allahumma anta rabbi. Oh, and you can recite it if you'd like. Allahumma anta rabbi. Oh Allah, you are my Lord. La ilaha illa anta. There is no one worthy of worship except for you. Khalaqtani wa ana abduk. You created me and I am your servant. And oh Allah, I am on your covenant and, what I, and this promise, this agreement that I had with you as much as I can. I know I'm weak, but I'm trying. I seek refuge in, uh, uh, in you from the evil and the crookedness that I've brought with my own sins and my own flaws and weaknesses. Um, I recognize your ni'mah, your grace upon me. And I recognize where I stand, which is what contri you, your contribution has been mercy and grace. My contribution has been dhambi, sin. So please forgive me. Because there's no one else that can forgive me except for you. Sayyidul Istighfar. So he continues. Um, and I've already given the background here, but he forgives you. He, he continues, his words, I acknowledge to you your great... Okay, let's go back. What is he talking about? Janahin, the two wings. What are those two wings? The ability to see one's own faults, ignorance, and enmity. And number two, the other wing that we're flying on in our journey to Allah for the Salikin uh, is... The blessings of, his, of the Lord, His excellence, mercy, and generosity. And I'm able to witness this. These are the two wings I'm traveling on. This hadith summarizes these two wings so perfectly. And it, he, it summarizes it so perfectly and it highlights to us that this is the best form of attaining Allah's forgiveness. So much so that it's a guarantee of Jannah whoever recites it with conviction from their heart in the morning and evening. Then he says, Ibn Qayyim now says, His words, I acknowledge to you your grace to me and I acknowledge my sin. He's saying these words that are in, they're, they're, they're opposing one another. 
I, I, I recognize your grace upon me, your contribution. I recognize my contribution, which was my sin. He says, this combination, this combines the recognition of divine grace with the awareness of the defects of the soul and its deeds. The perception of Allah's grace engenders love, praise, and gratitude for the one to whom belong this grace and generosity. And awareness of the soul's defects entails humility, need, and repentance at every moment. You versus me. Right? That's, that, that's what it comes down to. And this is the, the pinnacle of, you know, the pinnacle of, of deen. We say Islam, we say Iman, and then we say Ihsan, which is to be able to worship Allah as if I see Him. But one component of Ihsan is not just that I see Allah in my worship, but I see Allah for who He is in comparison to where I stand. And if I can really achieve that in my life, that is Ihsan. So he continues. SubhanAllah, this is just such a deep session. Um, I mean, who, who thinks about this, right? But like our, 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 the, the masters of our deen who just... Break. I mean, you, you, we've all listened to the, the, the audio for the rest of this text and about the remembrance of Allah. I mean, who pulls out over a hundred benefits of the remembrance of Allah? I mean, if we were to sit together, we can come up with a handful. But you have these masters of, of Quran and Hadith that just have spent years of sacrifice and study and the suhbah of their teachers, and this is, what, this is, this is how the deen opens up to them. And he, we're here just reading their words. Okay. It also entails, this is, this is very deep, it also entails that the servant sees himself as impoverished. It also entails that the servant sees himself as impoverished. <laughs> he says, um, the closest door to Allah Ta'ala is just this wherein the servant sees in himself no state, station, or reason to which he could become attached, or any means with which he might be favored. Rather, he comes to Allah Ta'ala Most High, this is, it's very deep, he comes to Allah Ta'ala most high, by the gate of indigence, adversity, and pure poverty. He enters as one whose heart has been broken by poverty and indigence until neediness reaches his inner depths and he is shattered. Destitution envelops him from all sides, and he, us, feels utter need for Allah. complete indigence and dependence upon him. He feels that every wit of his inner and outer being is completely in need of and dependent on his Lord. He feels that if he is left to himself, for even the blink of an eye, he will perish lost beyond help unless his Lord returns to him in his mercy to salvage him. And then he concludes, 
There is no shorter there is no shorter way to Allah than that of servitude and no thicker veil than pretension. Subhanallah. I mean this is I mean this is um, this should be our mentality. You know, we think uh, you know, God owes me something. I've done this, I've done that. I I come into this world thinking that I deserve to be able to have ownership over things. Whether it be people, whether it be things, whether it be my time, whether it be my limbs, we think that this is all ours. But he says that the closest door to Allah Ta'ala is when the servant comes to Allah Ta'ala and basically completely abases himself and says he enters as one whose heart has been broken by poverty and indigence until neediness reaches his inner depths and he is shattered. Destitution envelops him from all sides and he feels his utter need for Allah, complete indigence and dependence upon him. He feels that every wit of his inner and outer being is completely in need of and dependent on his Lord. He feels that if he is left to himself, for even the blink of an eye, he will perish, lost beyond help, unless his Lord returns to him in his mercy to salvage him. I mean, if, if, if this, is, this is what it is. I mean, blink of an eye, right? I mean, the reality is we're, our every breath is facilitated by Allah. I mean, if, if we are left to ourselves, we would perish physically. And if we, be, literally, we would physically perish if Allah didn't command our next, uh, 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 our lungs to take its next breath or our heart to not take its next beat. That's it. We physically perished, right? We understand that. On top of that, spiritually, if Allah Ta'ala wishes or wills, in the blink of an eye, our iman can also be lost. He feels that he is left to himself. If he, if he is left even for the blink of an eye, he will perish, lost beyond help, unless his Lord returns to him in his mercy to salvage him. There is no shorter way to Allah than that, sort, than that of servitude and no thicker veil than that of pretension. So this is, this is um, well, he continues. We have, there's one, one, one final section, and then we'll summarize. So, he continues, servitude or ubudiyah, it rests on two supports. What were the two supports, janahain, that were mentioned, right? One is a recognition of our own, who we are. The other wing is recognition of who Allah is. Those are the two wings that we sail on. And we, meaning that's how we travel in this world if, we, if we're aiming for success. We, that's fully what we're dependent on. So, servitude rests on two supports, which are its very principles, Number one, subhanAllah, I mean, the way he brings it all together, these very principles, complete love and complete humility. The who is Allah is complete love and who am I is complete humility. Right? Who is Allah is complete love because this is a being who continuously showers me with blessings, has brought me into this world, has kept me alive, continues to keep me in a state of iman. Every penny comes from him. Every breath comes from him. Every relationship comes from him. Every success comes from him. Right? That's complete love. And complete humility in the sense, not that we're failures in this world, but in our relationship with Allah Ta'ala, we are humbled. These two principles... 
these two principles, complete love and complete humility, arise from the two other sources we mentioned earlier, perception of Allah's blessings, which engenders love and awareness of the defects of the soul and acts, which and our acts, which engenders complete humility, which is what I just said, but I'm just re reciting it. These two principles, love and humility, arise from the two sources that he just mentioned, perception of Allah's blessings, which engenders love and awareness of the defects of the soul and our acts, which engenders complete humility. When a person, this is the concluding sentence, when a person bases his journey toward Allah on these two principles, this is, and this is really important, when a servant bases his journey toward Allah on these two principles, his foe, i.e. shaitan, will not overcome him, except in moments of absent-mindedness. But just as quickly, I mean, what he's saying here is that if we ride on these two, shaitan will never be able to overtake us. Yes, there'll be brief periods of times, in periods of absent-mindedness, but just as quickly, Allah shall come to him, rousing him and indemnifying him in his mercy. Meaning, if I sail on here, shaitan will never be able to derail me. Yes, I may slip and fall a couple of times, but it'll be temporary. Why? Because racing toward me to protect me from shaitan is going to be Allah Ta'ala's mercy. Because I I've experienced Express to Allah that I understand. I know where I stand and I know where you stand. So when I slip and fall, racing toward me becomes the mercy of Allah Ta'ala. So, you know, the summary being the perception of Allah and His greatness and His blessings facilitates and engenders love. Then, uh, engenders love. And then you have our own faults and weaknesses which puts us in humility. And these are the two wings that we fly on. Shaitan, our nafs, will never be able to fully overtake us except briefly when we're in this state. But ultimately, Allah Ta'ala will come and save us. You know, when I was, I remember when I was, um, this is May, almost 10 years ago, um, there's this concept in Tasawwuf called nisbah, which is a lasting connection with Allah Ta'ala. It's, it's one, you can almost say that a person that achieves this sort of understanding has attained a, a sense of nisbah, which is a permanent connection with Allah. So I remember, you know, many at the time, I had asked um, uh, uh, one of... Um, the senior mashayikh uh, 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 of the past, I had asked, uh, you know, this was maybe six or seven months after I had gotten my ijazah uh, uh, in this, uh, I had asked him, like, well, but I don't understand, I mean, what, what exactly does, how, does nisbah like a protection? I mean, is it impossible for a person to, to falter? And he said, no, the, the reality of nisbah, this permanent connection, is that, yes, there will be sins that you might fall to just like any human being. Uh, but that sort of perpetual downward trend toward disaster, mayday, that tends not to occur. It's not impossible, but that tends not to occur when a person attains a state of nisbah. So this is something that we should all sort of be striving for. And it's, the journey begins and it continues with, these, with this sort of understanding and this sort of mindset. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us a tawfiq to appreciate the, uh, His greatness. Uh, and allow us to, to, to finally have the tawfiq to see our own faults and our own weaknesses. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from amongst those who are always under his shade and, and make us from amongst those whom uh, his mercy is just looking for us to save us from, from ourselves. So we'll take questions inshallah. You only have about nine minutes. There is one question from before. But we'll try to take the sister's questions first. This is a question from the sister side that was asked earlier. 
Um, it's not directly related to this topic, but the question after trying to understand it, I think I understand it now, which is um, essentially the, the summary of it is if someone, uh, if I have done vulm upon someone and uh, I recognize that I need to ask Allah to forgive me just like I do for any other sin. And I know that forgiveness in Tawbah is always possible, uh, but that person chooses not to forgive me. Um, is it still possible for Allah to forgive me, essentially? And the answer to this question is, um, well, okay, there's two things from this question. Okay, let's just take a step back. If I transgress against Allah, I do repentance and tawbah with Allah, it's done, I move on. If I transgress against someone, I first need to receive their forgiveness, uh, and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will then forgive me. Now, uh, so there's two steps. Sometimes we think, well, I've gotten their forgiveness, I don't have to ask Allah because I wronged his creation. No, that next step also has to occur. But what happens in a circumstance where you're asking that person to forgive you and they just are adamant about not forgiving? Does that mean I can still be overlooked? Wallahu a'lam, it will happen in the day judgment. But what we know from our tradition is that it is essentially necessary for that person to forgive us before the doors of Allah's mercy in this particular regard are opened up. So if we want that blemish to be removed, we, we, it requires the forgiveness of that person. So what if they're adamant about it? Well, number one, this is a lesson for all of us to be very, very hesitant about ever wronging and doing dhulm on another person. Because this is, the, this is the situation you might find yourself in. So it, one thing is to transgress against Allah. Not ideal, obviously, but that can be rectified pretty quickly. But when you transgress against someone else, whether it be while they're aware of it, or to their face, or behind their back, or in whatever way, physical, emotional, psychological, be very careful, because if that person doesn't forgive you, now we're stuck. So one, one thing that you can try at that point is obviously is working your hardest to ask them to forgive you and asking other people to. The ulama mentioned giving sadaqah uh, in their name with the hopes that Allah Ta'ala will soften their heart. I mentioned this earlier. We're living in a marathon, not in a, in a sprint. T who knows, 10 years from now, that person's heart can change and they can change their mind and say, you owe Allah, I forgive anyone that ever wronged me. So, but where is that tawfiq going to come from? It's going to come from Allah. If Allah doesn't cause in their heart a change so that they forgive it, their, the, the people that wrong them, it's not going to happen. So that means that we should make abundant du'a for that person. Make a lot of du'a for them that Allah changes their heart. Because yes, I can ask them a hundred times over, they're not going to listen. But if Allah Ta'ala asks them one time, they have no option but to listen. Because that asking is a command of Allah Ta'ala and the heart changes. And we've witnessed this so many times where people are like, just these relationships that seem unsolvable, uh, they become solved. Are there, oh, these are not, oh, sorry. These are pending, okay. Uh, okay, so I'm, we're taking the sister's questions first, so. Okay, can you expand on the idea of pretension being a veil? Because in this text, there is no shorter way to Allah than that of servitude and no thicker veil than pretension. Uh, does that mean, what does that pretension entail? Attributing blessings to people or individuals other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So uh, this pretension is, uh, so there's nothing wrong with attributing blessings to people if that was the means that Allah gave, but it's essential that we then tie those people into Allah. Meaning Allah ta'ala just used these individuals as an excuse to get me this gift or this blessing. If I, for instance, get an acceptance letter from my top university or from the job of my choice, I thank the person obviously, 
But ultimately, I recognize that the only reason I got this is because Allah Ta'ala allowed every step that required me to get it, be it from the opportunity opening itself, to the creation of the person who's going to give me the interview, to the person who's going to print the letter so that that letter comes to me, all of those are happening by Allah's permission. So as long as I'm attributing the blessing ultimately to Allah Ta'ala, then we're sort of removed from this notion of pretension. If that doesn't answer the question, you can um, just rewrite it or, or see clarification. Okay, this is a good question. What is the relationship between complete humility and popular notions of self-esteem and self-assuredness? How can we be highly aware of our faults without falling into anxiety? This is a wonderful question. Um, so, this is rooted in an understand. Well, this requires an understanding of this of, of our aqidah, and it requires an understanding of human psychology. Psychology. The question essentially is, if I'm constantly putting and denigrating myself and lowering myself, uh, what about those of us that struggle with our own personal sense of self-esteem and we always feel like that we're, we're wrong, we're wrong, we're wrong? Look, the reason that we are abasing ourselves in this situation is not because of any other reason except that we're trying to elevate ourselves. If in lowering myself, Allah Ta'ala is elevating me, that should be my self-esteem. My self-esteem should be driven by this. Look, if I'm lowering myself in front of people, yes, I can understand how that may negatively affect self-esteem. But we're talking here that when we're talking about our relationship with Allah and the mechanism by which I elevate in my rank with Allah Ta'ala, which should be what drives my self-esteem, is by, is by lowering myself and humbling myself before Allah Ta'ala. There's a beautiful hadith that summarizes this. The Prophet Sallallahu says, مَن تَوَاضَعَ لِلَّهِ رَفَعَهُ اللَّهِ Whoever lowers themselves before Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala elevates them. And whoever exhibits a sense of pride has takabbur. Uh, Allah Ta'ala drops them down. So, yes, I rec so, so there's two things. One is in the context of how I interact with people, we're not talking about this sense of denigration and I'm nothing. This is just in my relationship with Allah. With people, it's important that we maintain our sense of balance with ourselves. That we do have abilities. We should be, we should be, uh, we should be encouraged that we have faith, that we have Islam, that we are praying, that we're reading Quran, that we're coming to gatherings, and all of these things. These should be empowering. We should be balanced, and in, in certain circumstances, we should be proud as well. But when it comes to our interaction with Allah, no matter what we do, it's never going to be enough. But that's exactly what elevates us. And that's what makes us a wali of Allah, which means that it should have a counter effect on self-esteem. So I know it's a, uh, I hope I answered that question. Uh, but uh, if, it, if it doesn't make sense, this is really important. If someone's misunderstanding this concept, they need to talk to me directly. Because if, if you're getting from this, uh, that this is going to take a toll on my self-esteem, that means that I'm not communicating this properly. And that needs to be clarified uh, before, before you leave. Okay. Um, Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah. Okay, let me just see. We only have two minutes, so let me just uh, prioritize. Okay. Do du'as that guaranteed things like Jannah or forgiveness 
come with the caveat of understanding and feeling the dua, or can we read from the mouth and expect the promise of Allah and the Prophet Great question. Uh, actually, for Sayyidul Istighfar, the hadith actually mentions that whoever, and this is why this, this, this dua, when anyone recites it, really be mindful. The hadith mentions that whoever recites this uh, wholeheartedly, with meaning, like meaning really intends and wants this, not lip service. Whereas other du'as, the Prophet sometimes will just say, whoever says this three times will get this, whoever does this three times will get this. This hadith specifically mentions wholeheartedness, which I find to be remarkable. Because what's happening in this du'a that we're told to recite, it's not even a du'a. It's basically a, a remind, it's, it's basically a, um, an expression of Allah Ta'ala, to Allah Ta'ala. So Allah Ta'ala doesn't want this expression to be empty. It has to come from the heart. So this hadith specifically mentions it. But generally speaking, the other hadith uh, also should be done from the heart and not just the tongue. Um, but, you know, if we have the intention that we want to do it from our heart and occasionally we forget, you know, maybe Allah Ta'ala will, will sort of forgive, forgive us and overlook us. Okay, uh, can you explain a little more about what it means in deen when we learn about the knowers of Allah? Because in this text, and in the, in the text, in different places, it talks about the arifin, which is a particular maqam, uh, or the lovers of Allah, the muhibbin, or the friends of Allah, uh, the siddiqin, uh, 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 sorry, the awliya. Uh, how does one get into these groups? So um, this is a, it's a bit of an academic question, to be honest. Um, the Quran mentions these groups in one place. Uh, Allah Ta'ala says, uh, What's the ayah? Ula'ika ma'alladina? An'am Allah, right? It starts with Ula'ika though. Ula'ika, Allah Ta'ala talks about in the Quran, the people of, of, in rank. Ma'alladina an'am Allahu, the one who have the most, you know, an'am Allahu alayhi. Minan nabiyyina, the prophets come number one in rank. Was-siddiqina, next come the siddiqin. Was-shuhada, the martyrs. Was-salihin, the righteous. Um, and then, th th then there's different breaks on. So if the question is asking, is there like explicit hadith or Quran that talk about these ranks? There are not. But different scholars, depending on their uh, background in tasawwuf or spirituality, have sort of created these sort of rank systems so that we can better understand what person's station is. So for instance, there's the awliya of Allah, there's the muhibbin, there's the arifin, there's the siddiqin. And I think according to because the majority of the ulama, the siddiqin uh, come at the top. And the Siddiqin come at the top because Allah Ta'ala explicitly mentions it in the Qur'an and the Qur'an is always going to trump everything else. And Allah Ta'ala puts the Siddiqin right after Nabiyyin. None of us can, of course, ever become a prophet. So the, the status of Siddiq, and it's interesting, I mean, who is the, um, who, who is the, uh, the, 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 the prototype of the Siddiqin? Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He was known as Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. Right? He was true to Allah and he was true to himself. I, I, honestly, this, this whole discussion of the Arifin, you can also apply this to the Siddiqin as well. Because we just talked about the Arifin are those people who know Allah Ta'ala. Siddiqin are those people who know Allah Ta'ala and they know themselves and they're true to Allah and they're true to themselves. So, to answer the question, is there a hierarchy in Islam? Yes, but it's dependent on which text you, you reference. Um, does it matter practically for the average person or for honestly any of us? No, because our goal is still going to be the same. It's to please Allah in every single moment. It's to 
um, uh, it's to develop a meaningful relationship with him, it's to understand his attributes, it's to exemplify the sunnah of the Prophet to the best of our ability, and wherever rank, whatever rank we fall in as we achieve those things, that's, that, that's where we land. Right? And that's where, some of it's dependent on our efforts, some of it's dependent on the trials Allah sends us. For instance, a person cannot elevate to the rank of a wali unless they're heavily trialed by Allah. Right? So it depends on the circumstance Allah puts us in, because the, that elevation is much uh, quicker, uh, and, uh, and it occurs, but it doesn't occur with worship. Right? We mentioned this yesterday. Worship will never take us where sabr and shukr through our tribulation will take us. So to earn certain ranks, it might be our worship, our deeds, it might be our, um, uh, the trials that we are faced with, it might be our own just um, uh, uh, our exemplification of the sunnah of the Prophet wherever we end up, we end up. 